Welcome, everyone, to North Fuse podcast that we call Extra. I guess it's one of a couple podcasts, but this is Extra, coming to you weekly from the green room in North View Community Church. <laughs> yeah, if you and only knew no how humble green, <laughs> yeah, this podcast this is. This is our studio. Recording. We have a picnic blanket on the table. Yeah, I use that word studio loosely. <laughs> And we bring an intern as our producer. I mean, how bad can it get? Uh, this is episode number uh, 198. We are so, so close, close to the special 200. Greg, what are we going to do for that? No, don't tell anybody. Let's okay. just keep it a secret. Oh, man. Yeah. Sorry, Izzy. Even you won't know till it happens. I wouldn't know until it happens. But I just going to say there's going to be balloons. Um, can I wear my big jacket? Can you? We would love if you wore your big jacket oh, yeah. and your calculator watch. Totally. And your phone in your holster. Yeah. But is that a phone or a computer? Cherry's <laughs> out. Is this one. your phone? <laughs> <laughs> yes. If you want to know what what Azzy's phone looks like, just imagine somebody putting a, com- a laptop to their face, <laughs> and uh, that's about the size of it. <laughs> It's like a clamshell. For, for all for all of those people out there who probably have an iPhone 6 Plus, my mm. phone is smaller mm. than the 6 Plus. See, Just I, saying. I thought wow. Ezra was carrying around one of those three-ring binders, and then it rang. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, oh, well, I guess that's his phone. That's weird. <laughs> uh, with us today is Andy. Hey, it's good to be with you. Steiger with a money sign for the S. That's right. This is a little-known fact about Andy Steiger, is that when he's sending an email to some people that he's friends with, sometimes he'll he'll sign his name with a money sign and then write the tiger part of his name. So whenever he writes that, first of all, I disregard everything he said above because he can't be trusted. Second of all, I try to find a way to pronounce it. Is it like dollar tiger? Or like oh. money tiger? It sounds like a... Yeah, it's more like money tiger. Okay. Money, money tiger, okay. So um, you know you've made it into Andy's inner circle yeah, of friends. <laughs> Listen, I just if if Kesha can do it, I can do it. All right, Greg. Although we mentioned this before we yeah. started recording, Kesha grew up and stopped. <laughs> I'm working on. But it. this came off the back of Creflo Dollar, which yeah. we'll get into in a second. Yeah. Greg is here. Hi. Ezra's here. Hey. Jeremy, our producer, is here. Hello. Thank you, Jeremy, for producing for us. He takes care of all the details, so it's really nice that we can just come here, everything's mm. set up, and then we leave, and he cleans up all the mess, Respect. all Ezra's cheese wrappers that he leaves around, and yes, Ezra is eating. He he also will title the podcast for us Do on the website. Title it? So he titles the different Whoa. conversations, right? Who like, picks uh, the picture? Daryl does that. But but oh, you put Darryl. down like what we talk. I put about. all the topics down. Yeah. And so then if you get they're mad, they're also cataloged on the website, so you can search for all the topics that have been talked about in all the previous extra really? podcasts. Really? Yeah. On our new website? Uh, no, on the old it was one. Well. On the old one too. No, I mean like, is it on our new website now? I would think so. Okay. <laughs> Andy, Andy <laughs> just so everyone knows, Andy just put the hood up on his Puffy uh, jacket. sleeping sleeping bag jacket. It's down. <laughs> I'm it cold is, today, guys. This well, is worse is than Ezra's jacket. Is it yeah. not cold in here, dude? It's all no. the heat leaves the top of your head. That's the problem. It is a problem. Um, so you should wear a wig. I. That. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that could be the 200th episode, right? Yeah, there. someone bring us an old the wig. Old men in wigs. I was just gonna say, if I'm wearing a wig, as he's wearing a wig. Yeah, be- I'm wearing a wig. Kyle this has got to be blonde. Can, can we make this happen? <laughs> can we actually make this happen? Where we'll try to film the 200th episode, and if people bring in wigs, all the bald contestants, well, contestants, panelists Family. will, we'll wear, will wig. wear the wig on the 200th episode. So Kyle, myself, Ezzy. We need to find a way to actually make this happen. So well, people. Who listen to the? I, I people would have stopped bringing food in, so I'm not sure they're going to bring a wig in. Well, we won't critique the wigs. <laughs> they just have yeah, to we wear them. Was there a time when there was food brought? And yeah, dude, yes. Food? And then Jeff went off in the bacon. Fudge so one of honestly, one of the nicest women you'll ever meet in your life would bring us in this food, and then her feelings were deeply hurt by insensitive comments about the food, and so now we don't get food anymore. <laughs> Ezra tried to convince people to stop. Critiquing the food. Yes, I tried, but you guys are so well. You know what? No, no, when you say wow. you guys, hmm. I appreciated the bacon fudge. I thought it was very creative. Okay. It was. It was creative. It was only one member that's not actually here. So Who shall wanna, not be named? So we don't want to talk bad about Jeff just because he's not here. 
But Jeff. That wouldn't be but. fair. <laughs> well, it rhymes with Jeff. <laughs> when Jeff's not here to defend himself, we shouldn't it point Jeff. out Jeff's we, flaws. Right. We shouldn't talk about Jeff at all. So when I was thinking about Jeff, I thought that about Creflo Dollar. <laughs> that is the worst segue you've had. But you keep I just going. thought how opposite they are. Okay, gotcha. Nah, now you're back with me? Yeah. So actually, I think it was Jeff actually sent this article about Creflo Dollar, who's a, a televangelist in the States, who is appealing to his donation base to buy him, send in money. I forget how much it is. He is a 65 pastor. million is what Well, 65 he's, million, but he wants $300 He's not just a televangelist. He's a pastor. Of a church. Of a church. 200,000. 200,000 people uh, at $300 or more is what he's going for. We he's could got lend the numbers them, right. Well, we could lend him our listenership. <laughs> <laughs> so well, first of all, can I just make a comment? Uh, on, on the scale of top granted. 10 worst last names for a pastor, I think Dollar <laughs> got to come in at top five. Yeah. Am I right or am I right on that one? Yeah. I think that's his real name or he actually just made that up. <laughs> like, I, I said this before we were recording. When you're given the last name Dollar, you can't not be a prosperity teacher. <laughs> like for a guy with the last name Dollar to go up there and talk about renouncing all things to following Jesus, it just doesn't seem right. No. Right? So, I mean, in but some ways it it's not fair. But is it for him to want a new jet? Because his old jet, <laughs> like he has a full-time pilot, but his old jet, they had to do like an emergency landing. And so now he's thinking, I need to get rid of this emergency landing jet, and I need a new one. This is the great one of the great examples of of the, our perceived needs compared to what we actually need. Like, no, he doesn't need a new jet. He doesn't need a jet. He can fly economy. <laughs> well, here's the thing that cracks me. I do. <laughs> right? See, like when I as a pastor, when I'm going to buy a new car, I'm always worried about okay, what kind of car am I going to get, and what kind of message is this going to send. But now. I mean, it, him worrying about what kind of jet is he going to get and who's going to... Okay. Gonna, unbelievable. Um, as of yesterday, after a bruising weekend handling ferocious backlash over his campaign to acquire a 65 million Gulfstream G650 airplane uh, with planned donations of $300 or more from 200,000 people, controversial televangelist and founder of World Changers Church International, Creflo Dollar, has completely abandoned the idea of obviously getting this thing and will only consider acquiring one in future if it is properly priced. So he's no longer... Oh, gosh. <laughs> if we can get it for $62 million, would be such a deal. <laughs> oh, uh. mercy. There's a lot that makes me mad about that stuff like that, that. That his so now his apologizing or his backing down of this isn't because he thinks it's absurd for a pastor of a local church to own a jet so he can fly around and do all his very important ministry in the age of Skype. <laughs> can I add? But now he's saying, well, the reason uh, I'm not doing it is not because it's dumb to own a jet as a pastor, but because 65 is too high. 40. Now we're having a conversation. 27, I mean, if I can get that jet for 27 million, I'm going to do it because oh, the man. Lord has blessed me. What a, <clears throat> what a joke. This is why pastors need to be the watchmen on the towers like Jeff mm. was talking about this weekend and why leaders of churches have to do this is because you need to hear people say, don't listen to this man. Like if this man's trying to teach you something about what it means to be a disciple and he's trying to buy a private jet for his ministry because he thinks he's that important, apparently Skype isn't good enough. To have a conversation with people in another or part coach, of the world, you know, or flying economy. Fly economy. <laughs> well, and, the, and then ministries that he would go to uh, speak at or whatever, they have to pay half his fuel. And they're saying for him to fly to New York is like forty-seven hundred dollars in fuel or something like that. Yes, but go, but you could buy a first-class plane ticket. But what not he does, sixty-five million dollars plane. I think he has a service in New York, and then he has one, maybe in Atlanta or some somewhere. Well, that was good so. Planning. On Sundays, so he will preach in New York and then fly to the other place. So every weekend he does this. Yeah, because, you know, training other preachers up for the ministry, what a waste of time that is. It'd be better for him to own a jet so he can fly from New York to Atlanta so he doesn't miss his second service. I don't know if it's Atlanta, but I know he, f he travels to... See, even that makes me more mad. Calm well, down. <laughs> we the could reason get a helicopter he... for Ezzy, though. And... 
go back and well, forth. Well, we're thinking of getting a tent trailer mission. for Izzy. Uh, <laughs> put him in a tent trailer and drive him back and forth. Big face on the side of the tent trailer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, See, if uh, someone donated to us a really dingy old tent trailer and we gave our kids' ministry just full reign to make it look like what they wanted, that could be your ride. You guys are bad. Uh, okay. Well, let's go on to some questions that have come in here. Um, hello. I was wondering if the Holy Spirit is always with us or do we need to continually ask for God to send his Holy Spirit upon us? Hmm. If it is always with us, then from which point? Birth, baptism, or belief in Jesus? Um, Go. <clears throat> I would say the moment, the moment someone becomes a Christian, the moment you... You, you say yes to Christ and he becomes Lord and Savior. Oh, you acknowledge that he is Lord and Savior. You ask for forgiveness. At that very point, among other things that takes place, obviously your sins are forgiven, you're regenerated, you're, you're, you become a child of God, and all those things. Among many other things that happen, the Spirit of God comes and now, um, what is the word? He sets up sh like permanent residence in you. So the Spirit of God begins to live in you. And one of the purposes for that is so that he, is, he, he becomes a deposit guaranteeing the promise of God in your life, the promise me, being eternal life. So every Christian, upon salvation, the Spirit of God comes and lives in you. And he begins to now sanctify you. So it is through the power of the Spirit of God that you're now, that, that uh, you begin to... Uh, become obedient to the commands of Christ. You begin to love God because left to your own devices, you cannot love God on your own. So the Spirit of God begins to regenerate you. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and all the rest of them, it is the Spirit of God in you working those things and drawing them out of you. So he who began a good work in you, Philippians 1 says, is faith faithful to complete it. So God is working through his Spirit in your life. So there's that. But then Paul also now begins to encourage his, and you can mm -hmm. find the passage, Paul begins to, to, encourage, um, to encourage his listeners. I think it's Ephesians 5. Um, he's he pointing at that me, narrows by the way. it down for him. At yeah, least. he narrows it down. <laughs> you find that um, verse about yeah, the Spirit. Yeah, yeah, you find that verse about the Spirit. It's Ephesians 5. Just before, yes, you know. Okay, it. you keep going. I'll, I'll Paul tell. encourages his listeners. You know, do not be drunk with wine, he says, which leads to debauchery. And the image here would be, say, for instance, most people have been to weddings before. And um, if a wedding is starting at 2 in the afternoon, everybody's nicely dressed. They all look proper. They're very, they're very eloquent and sophisticated in their talk and chat and whatever in their nice clothes. But then you come to the reception. The dinner starts <coughs> at 6 p.m. And then if there's an open bar, which opens maybe at 7.30, all of a sudden the alcohol begins to flow the people who are so dignified at two in the afternoon are now basically dancing and laughing and falling over and having a great time because they were shy at two in the afternoon, but they are so bold. And that's because alcohol is in them. Paul is saying, do not be drunk with wine, which will lead to that kind of lifestyle, that wild living. Rather, be filled with the Holy Spirit. So there is a contrast here. When you're filled with the Spirit of God, you're able to do things that you wouldn't do left in your own devices. So, for instance, how would you view your money? Mm. How would you view your job? Would you uproot your family from the comforts and safety of Canada and move to Nigeria where Boko Haram mm -hmm. are busy slaughtering people because you believe God has called you to do ministry there? It would take... A lot of people, your family will look at you and say, you're insane. But no, you're not insane. You're just answering the call of God. Who gives you, how are you, are you a better person because you said yes to the, the call of God? No, it's the Spirit of God in you who is now calling you and drawing you to obedience. And one of mm -hmm. the things that Greg and I will be preaching this weekend, this mm -hmm. coming weekend in our Jesus Says What series, has to do with some of the demands Jesus makes to the world. Jesus demand he will give you salvation, but then he will demand submission. Yeah. Like absolute, 100% submission, meaning all your money, your career, your sexuality, 
everything at his disposal. Yeah. And it's only by the Spirit of God that you will be able to open your, the palm of your hands and allow him to do whatever he wants with mm. you. So, so that question, sorry, you go. You were going to ask as your question. Oh, no, I wasn't. I was just going to clarify, but it sounds do like it. you're going to say the thing. You go. Oh, I just wanted to, so just to be really clear with what, the, what was asked, um, no, you don't need to keep asking for the Holy Spirit. The, the Holy Spirit, as Ezra was saying, lives inside of you, takes up residence. And, uh, and that takes place at the moment of belief and when you put your trust in Jesus Christ. So would we say that it's like bad for someone to ask for the Holy Spirit to fill them anew? <clears throat> but, I mean, you, I would say this, to clarify, to nuance it a little bit further. Mm-hmm. When, the, when you become a Christian, the Spirit of God comes upon you. But following the salvation experience, we pray asking God to fill us with his spirit continually. So in other words, it's basically a prayer of saying, Lord, I submit myself this Mm -hmm. day to you. Because Jesus himself says, you know, um, whoever would come after me has to deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. And taking up your cross daily is hard. Mm. And the only way you can do that is if the Spirit of God enables you to do Mm. that. So that at the end of the day, when Christ comes back and he's making all things new, you stand there not beating your chest thinking how awesome you are because you finished the race. No, worshiping God because he finished the race Mm. for you Mm. and in you and through you. So it is all him and zero you. Because I'm already full of the Spirit, hmm. like, so why do you pray to be filled anew? Because, like, I'm already full. Like, can I get fuller than full? See, See, I I would, this is my crack at it. Sure. Is that, first of all, I would want to say that it's 100% God, 100% us Mm -hmm. working together, not just 0% us, but whatever. Uh, Oh, we can debate that, but carry on. (laughs) So, uh, I, I would say it's more of a, and of making yourself aware of the fact that the Spirit is with you, that He is present, that He is living inside of you. And it's a, it's a, the language of fill me anew is not as though the Spirit had left right. and you need Him to come in again. It, it's this reorienting yourself to saying, yes, I'm, I, this is my identity as a, as a son of, of God, as an adopted son into the family now. And that means one of the gifts is that I have the spirit dwelling in me. And so, Father, make me aware of that. Help me to... The Apostle Paul refers to this as walking in the spirit. Yeah, mm-hmm. and so I don't see it as like this, you know, your spirit level is, right. is, is low like word. a gas tank. Yeah, And so you need to go to the to the place and refill it, right? So it's more a prayer of submission. I, really. I think it's oh, more of a remembrance. Re- I think it's more of a remembrance, a reorienting, a... Yeah. Uh, uh, it's a renewing moment where you're saying, yes, again, I, I recognize that, that your Getting spirit is with track. me. You're, it's kind of like repentance. Remember, repentance is turning away from whatever's distracted you from Christ and putting your attention back on him. And I think this is something that we're constantly in process of doing is putting our attention back on the fact that Christ, that, that but our attention back on Christ and that God's spirit lives within us. Uh, because if you're not careful, a lot of people get in this idea then that, they're constantly losing their salvation and their, their thinking, and they got to constantly ask God back into their lives. Yeah. And I, I really want to avoid that, or, that idea. Or they fall into a category where they might not say these words as such, but they, they believe that there are these spirit-filled Christians up here on this, <clears throat> really, on this top plane really doing well, and then there's those other Christians down there who aren't spirit-filled. And, and so they set up camp by, by saying, oh, well, that, that Christian's not filled with the Spirit, and so that's why... They're going through through these challenges, but I am filled with the Spirit, and so that's why things are going this way. And so, no, but but again, but again, we would say this. I, I don't think that it is. Um, see, to be, I'll give an example. I'll give an example. Sometimes, um, you know, you look at different individuals, Christians. So, say, you're you're a young Christian. You come to this home group, and you see this elderly gentleman or lady. Or this young person, men, and they just love the Lord Jesus. Mm. They love the Lord Jesus. And it's not that they're bragging or anything. They're just, it seems like they're just peaceful. Whether things go terribly wrong Mm -hmm. or things go really well, they just seem stable. And they're people who, I mean, they, 
their love for the Lord is so, it's something that you admire to the extent where you say, man, I wish I loved the Lord Jesus like they did or like they are loving, loving Christ. What is different about them? And I've, all, I've asked this question for years and years. I asked this question. What is it about that person that, that they're so at peace until I encountered Ephesians 5, um, Ephesians 5, 17 and 18? And w- when Paul says, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, this be filled is a continuous yeah. Yeah. filling. Mm-hmm. It is a... This is something that is ongoing. And then he goes on to talk about addressing one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. And he gives on, then he goes on to talk about how wives submit to husbands, husbands love your wives. This is now what life looks like for the spirit-filled individual. And this list that Paul gives was totally countercultural in his own day. So then how are you to live, how are wives to submit to husbands, husbands loving their wives as Christ loves the church, and then he talks about, then he goes on in chapter six about children obeying their parents, slaves submitting. Mm -hmm. These are things that were difficult for people to do. So how do you do this joyfully? You're only able to do this joyfully if the Spirit of God continues his sanctifying work in your life. So it is an ongoing thing. So I would say it's beyond just an awareness. Mm. It is more of a submitting. It's more of yeah. allowing the Spirit of God yeah. to be the one who is actively at work in you. So mm. praying, saying, Lord, this day I submit myself to you. I submit my money, my, my, my career, my everything, yeah. my life is yeah. yours. You lead, I will follow, and grant me the strength to obey. Mm. I and guess I just he, want to avoid the idea that the spirit has left you. No, the spirit has not left you. Yeah. It has not. It hasn't like, left you. I don't want to have people in their mind have a have a picture of a gas tank on their mm-hmm. on their dashboard as mm-hmm. though the spirit, you know, now I'm now I'm full, so that's mm-hmm. good. But then now, oh, mm-hmm. now I'm at empty, mm-hmm. and so that's not good. Which means now I got to pray again, or else Something. the spirit's yeah. left me. Like mm-hmm. to have that kind of a mentality about it, I think, mm-hmm. is an overreading of what Paul's saying about being continually filled. Exactly. So I'd agree with you. So I'm, I'm quite happy to say, yeah, we continually pray that, Father, would you fill us with your spirit? Would you help us align with your will? Would you help us be obedient? Mm-hmm. But not not from the position of saying, oh, if I'm feeling down that day, it's because I, my my spirit tank is at empty. No, that's not that would that, be wrong. It's not that kind of imagery that we're exactly. working with. Yes. So that's kind of what I was trying to protect mm-hmm. against. Good. I uh, want to move on to another question here. And this, you don't want to uh, let us debate about this. He was getting mad at <coughs> about me saying that it's our work too. Oh, That's fine. We can. Do you want him to debate that? We don't have to. It's Ezra and I are friends. Yeah, we're friends. Okay. I think that we just have to agree to disagree on that one, because I disagree with Ezra too. But Ooh. yeah, but I'm and then, a, Je- and then Jeff a, disagrees with me. But I have a Bible yeah. verse for it. <laughs> <laughs> we'll move on. We'll move on. Hello, extraites. Thank Should you for have, the way you in hug? which you. No. Don't, don't, don't oh, hug you. Don't, he's don't, getting a hug. Don't bring okay. your armpit okay. next to me. <laughs> <laughs> that was awkward. <laughs> Good thing this was an episode 200 that we had on That's camera. Right. <laughs> yes. Thank you for the way in which you have unpacked and preached from the book of Joshua over the past few weeks. Mm-hmm. My wife and I often discuss the weekly sermons, and one issue we're having difficulty reconciling is the killing of Achan's children yeah. for the sins that he alone committed. Now, the passage simply refers to, in quotes, his sons and daughters, and doesn't tell us how old they were. Were they old enough to be complicit, or were they young and young children who were innocent of any sins of their own, yet punished regardless? Any insight into this at all? Well, I didn't do the, I didn't do the work on that passage at the level that Jeff did. Jeff preached that sermon here, and he's not here, and he would probably be able to provide kind of the most... Um, educated opinion on the topic because of his study on it, but we can probably kick it around a little bit, I'm Mm -hmm. guessing. First of all, the language of innocent is an overstatement, um, as though that that those children weren't at all rebellious against God. Hmm. When we phrase things and we accuse God of injustice on the basis of our innocence, 
is a fundamental failure to understand the state of humanity before God. So it's an act of God's grace to continually sustain people who are actively rebelling against him. So that, to, to remove it from the language of innocence, I think is just helpful because we're, not, we're, not, we're never dealing with innocent people. So the question is, why would God have killed Achan's family if they weren't all actively you know, complicit or involved in the process itself? And I would say that it was because God said to, you, God said to Israel, listen, if you, don't, if you don't fulfill my command of the harem, of the devotion, of, of devoting all the rebels to me, and of giving me all of the things that can't be devoted through burning up, stuff like precious metals. If you don't do that, the consequences of that is that I will devote you. Like, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to bring total destruction upon you. And so what you have with the situation of Achan is God saying, right, this is what I said I would do. And if no one actually fesses up to this, I'm quite happy to start new with a different nation. But no, they, you know, they cast lots, they come to Achan. And so God does what he said he would do to those who, who broke his commands in that situation. So God has warned the nation of Israel. He has told them what the stakes are. And Achan, still knowing, knowing the stakes, knowing what God is going to bring, still says, yeah, but I'm going to do it and I can get away with it because I can hide it in the ground. And so, so God is fulfilling his, his promise of the pending judgment if Israel breaks breaks their obedience to God through doing what they need to do with the devoted things. So it wasn't a blind side. Yeah. Um, Achan knew the position he was putting his family in. Um, we don't know if he did this purely secretly um, outside of his family's knowledge or not. So any any guesses on how it actually break down historically would be mostly conjecture. Yeah. This is one of the things actually we talked about in sermon review with <clears throat> with all of us, Jeff and, and the rest of us here, is that oftentimes in the Old Testament we'll read a story and it feels as though we've walked into a movie theater halfway yeah. through and we don't understand all the context of what's taking place. We just, we just hear the end of the story. And oftentimes it, we can feel a bit lost in the story when that takes place. Does that kind of go along with what you're Well, yeah. Saying? I mean, my, my, my basic point is we don't know all of the how it all actually happened historically in terms of did Achan tell his wife and his kids, hey, look, we're going to hide this stuff because no one's going to catch us. We don't know. Or did he do it completely unbeknownst to them? We don't know. But the point is, and the point that the author's trying to communicate, is that God told Israel, if, you don't, if you're not obedient, I'm going to bring the same kind of devotion on you that I'm bringing on the nations. And knowing that Achan still rebelled and was disobedient. Can, uh, can I just say, too, with the whoever wrote that question in, that I totally get where you're coming from on the question, that it is disturbing, it is, it is difficult to understand. And when I read that passage, too, I was like, man, that just seems harsh. Like, I, I, I totally get that. But I, I also realized, and I've had to think through this and, and work through it in my own mind, that uh, I think that one of the reasons why we, why, that we find it so disturbing. We, we find it disturbing for the, often the wrong reasons. That we're, we fail to see God in his holiness, mm. <clears throat> and, and we, we tend to downplay that. And, and particularly in the Old Testament, you see that this is a huge issue, God in his holiness and, and the people of Israel being faithful to him. Uh, and so I think this is one of the reasons why it, it's, a, it's a real struggle for us. And I really appreciate it actually with Jeff uh, talked about on Sunday is that he pointed our attention to Jesus hmm. because really we need to see that God is holy and he is holy within his right for what happened with Achan and his family hmm. uh, but that but that God in his holiness and his love for us was willing to send Christ to take our place and I, 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 I to me I thought that was important to understand um, is a God's holiness but then God's love for us and his willingness uh, in Christ to take our place. I think the story, uh, just to add on to what Greg was talking about, um, when I read Old Testament narrative, um, and yes, it's a story about Achan, uh, what he did, Joshua, his response, and the nation of Israel, you know, you read stories of <coughs> Moses and Noah and everybody else. I think, uh, for me, uh, when I look at the Old Testament, I see it. I see it as um, this is God revealing who He is 
to us. So how he related to people, how yeah. he responds to people, he's revealing himself, his character, his nature to us. So when you see him um, taking out Aiken and his entire family, what did he say at the beginning? So it shows that God will always fulfill his word. So when he says something, he means it. It's not a suggestion. Mm. It's not, hey, it might happen. No, once he, one, when, when God makes a covenant with someone and he says, hey, these are the rules. I will do this and you will do that. Failure to do what he's called you to do, there will be consequences which will be this. And he will not hold back in executing his executing judgment where judgment is needed. He, he, will, he will lavish grace with the same force as he would judgment when the time is right. So at the end of the day, God does what he, will, what he says he will do. And in many ways, that should bring us tremendous joy, knowing that he has promised he'll grant us eternal life. But then it would also, should also cause us to fear, knowing that he will judge if people aren't re uh, repentant. He will judge. Yeah. He will execute. That, and that's where context is so important in getting yeah. the bigger picture. Because if you just open your Bible and you read the story of Achan, you go, oh my goodness, Like God is just so vengeful and yes. takes it out on innocent, apparently innocent people. Yes. Um, and, and just why, I mean, all of you always talk about context, 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 and how important that is to get the bigger picture, to know what's going on. Mm -hmm. So if you only see God from that one story, that's not a clear picture no. of who God is. No. I mean, he's a God of mercy, God of love, but also a God of wrath and a God of justice. <clears throat> so all those things with the same intensity make who he is. Right. He will love radically, but he will also judge justly. Mm. Again, it should point us to Christ. Yes. Exactly. Who... Christ himself, who will extend mercy and love, but who will be, Christ himself will be the one inflicting judgment yeah. on, on the wicked at the, uh, at the end of the age. So again, same thing here. Yeah. A loving Christ who will give people grace upon <coughs> grace, but with the same intensity will also judge. Good. Um, this is another one kind of similar, uh, but it says, just a question about contradiction in the Bible. In Exodus, God commands his people not to kill, but then in Joshua, commands the complete slaughter, every man, woman, and child of a city. How are we to understand this or explain it? Is it really a contradiction? Sorry. I think, again, you listening when I read it? Not as close as I should have been. I think, I think again, it goes back to context. You know, so in Exodus, I'm guessing you, you, the, the questioner is referring to the Ten Commandments. So this is God commanding people not to, not to kill, to kill one another. Yeah. Thou shall not kill. But then in Exodus, I mean, in, uh, later on, in Joshua. in Joshua, he will command the people to, to kill the nations. So is there a contradiction there? I would say, no, there is no contradiction there because for one, who is, who is uh, commanding or who is calling the nation of Israel to actually go and execute the people of I? God is the one who is the just ruler, the one who sets what the standard is. So I think when we look at it and we say, oh, that is um, unjust or that is um, contradictory, all of a sudden you've diminished God's role in, in the universe. What is God's role? Is he, is he bound by our standard or does he set the standard? So when he commands the nation of Israel to slaughter the people of Ai, do we know why? See, one of the things that we, we I, I don't know if we did this through the, the um, Joshua series, is just to explain the sin of the Canaanite people. Yeah, we did. We did? Yeah, that's something we talked mm -hmm. about. And how the, 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 the Canaanites themselves, 
in many cases, were even devoting their own children to their, to their idols, burning them, mm. offering them as, as, as um, sacrifices. So the sin of the Canaanite people was so huge mm. to the extent that God is just mm. in punishing them and choosing to use the nation of Israel as the vehicle to bring this judgment. Just the same way, this same God, when you read now the, the narrative of the nation of Israel, uses other nations yes. to bring about judgment mm -hmm. to the nation of Israel. So when Babylon comes and takes over Israel, it's not that everybody's left alive. No, there are some who will die at the hand of the Babylonians because God is now judging his people purging the sin from his own people. And God does this a lot in the Old Testament. Well, and another part to that is, I'm not exactly sure where they're referring in Exodus, if it's outside the Ten Commandments or not, but the commandment is not to murder. And so it's murder for us on our own authority and our own desire to take the life of another. Yes. But for God, who is the creator and the owner of all things, it isn't murder because it's his to do what he wants to do with. And he, he in, waited a really long time to bring judgment on the Canaanite people. He waited 400 plus years, much longer than Canada's ever been a nation, to actually judge the Canaanites for their sin. Mm -hmm. Also, they happen to be in the land that God is wanting to establish Israel so that they can bring forward God's uh, salvation purposes in, in the world. So they're on borrowed land that belongs to God, and they're rebellious people against God, who even though they've heard the stories of Yahweh, of Israel, who did all these things in Egypt, they still said, yeah, who cares? They are not repenting. Bring it, is what they said. Mm -hmm. And in their rebellious idolatry against God, God dealt with rebellious idolaters like he always does. Mm -hmm. And he brought judgment on them like he said he would. And so... It's a, it's a very different context than, than just someone being killed on a whim. You mm -hmm. have God in a long, over a long period of time waiting to bring this judgment on a people who aren't just these utopian society, but they're actually horrifically evil as an empire and as a people. Mm -hmm. And he's doing so in the context of his salvation purposes of establishing Israel in the land that he promised Abraham he would give him a land. And so he's bringing forward his salvation purposes, which mm -hmm. would eventually come to the cross, where Christ brings, uh, brings salvation through, through taking on God's wrath against rebellious idolaters on our behalf. And so, so it is important to understand it in its history and to understand a little bit about that. This, is, this might sound like a shameless plug, but I, I try to deal with a lot of these issues in my sermon on, on um, the Canaanite destruction in Jericho of trying to deal with some of these objections. And I, I didn't do it perfectly, but I, I gave it a go in terms of dealing with some of the, the big objections. So if you're still kind of wrestling through those, maybe give that another listen. And if that's not helpful, you're like, yeah, thanks, Greg. Thanks for promoting your own sermon. Heard it. <laughs> if that's not helpful, I'd really encourage you to look into the work of Richard Hess. He's a scholar, um, a Joshua, and the a he's a conquest expert, the conquest of Canaan. And uh, he's done some really good work on the, the historical setting of Jericho and I. Um, so you can look up, he has some, some uh, lectures on YouTube. You can look up Richard Hess um, or just look up some of his work in Joshua and the Conquest. And he is, he has done um, probably the best work on this topic and is widely regarded as kind of the best, have, have done the best work from a, evangelical perspective in terms of someone who doesn't just want to say, yeah, that didn't happen, or yeah, God wouldn't do that. He actually is trying to deal with it in its context, and he has done a really good job. So read Hess. If, if you're like, I don't want to read a scholar, uh, Joshua Ryan Butler wrote a book called uh, Skeletons in God's Closet, and that is also, um, it's a great work. He relies heavily on Hess. Is, <laughs> so you're going to be getting Hess's thoughts just through a more... Um, popular reading level. You know who easier. else wrote a good book? Andy. Andy. Nice. <laughs> Were you going to refer Paul Copan? Yeah, I was going to. I was going to refer to Paul Copan. Paul Copan relies a, a lot monster. on Hess. Yeah, and then uh, and he relies a lot on Hess. Uh, Ian Proven, I think, has also spoken on this topic or oh, written yeah. on it as well. 
From Regent, right? From Regent, yeah. And he relies on Hess. Probably on Hess. Oh, I was going to say. I don't know. (laughs) You really got that thinking thing going. Like you did the thinking series videos. That's right, buddy. Then you did the thinking book. And the conference is actually called Thinking. And now you're doing your apologize conference is called Thinking. And now you're doing a five-week series like thinking live kind of thing. Yeah. You really yeah. like his mugs next. So my, my t-shirts. My question is, when does the feeling part come in? <laughs> like it's, it's his next book. Like yeah, that's right. I have, I have emotions feeling too. Question Andy. mark. <laughs> feelings. I'm not just thoughts. You have feelings. I've got I've got the feels. We've got hey guys, we got a deep question. Yes. Sometimes they're sad. Okay, here's we a got one coming. Oh, sorry. Um, do good Christian movies exist? And by good, I mean a high <laughs> level of filmmaking artistry and a high level of production, in essence, a well-made product. Why are the majority of Christian movies so terrible? Why is it so hard to make a good movie rooted in the biblical worldview? There's lots of ways we could address this. First of all, film at its heart is an artistic endeavor. And... We should start out by saying that art is subjective. <clears throat> the beauty is in the eye of the beholder. That said, there are, there are a lot of not that said. Good my movies. mom says that there's a lot of good Christian movies, movies, and and they're not <laughs> that great. So, but she likes them. She pays me in candy to watch them with her. That's a true story. I'm going down there on Thursday. She's already got lined up a movie for me. Really? So yeah, Belle with an E. She's already. Belly. I, t- I told her, Mom, you got you bring the candy. And I'll, watch, I'll it. watch it with you. So how long? How long? You're packing up. So are we not talking about? No, this? no. Keep going. This is the last question. Okay. I. So my my take on it is that I I think at times Christian movies can feel cheesy and not good because they're trying to wrap bows good. around everything. Right. It's not because they're not putting money in. It's not because they're not using professionals. It's because they try to make the world seem so much like Happily Ever After. It's so, not messy enough. So the God's Not Dead movie is a classic example of this. Of You have this educated, um, thoughtful professor who just doesn't like God because something bad happened to him in his life. And what he really needs is some first-year college student who's a Christian to show him what's what. Whoa, and then, whoa, whoa, and then things can change. No, this he is, needs this a is, newsboy con- newsboy <laughs> concert. Come on. So what I'm saying is if you like this movie, that's not actually whatever. It's not, it's not a big deal. But my point is that this is an example of a movie where the Christians are saying, we're trying to like, we're the underdog in the culture and they just don't like God because of past hurts and they don't have any other reasons for it. And if they only just heard someone who was nice and was winsome and provided the right arguments, the person would change. And because we want that to be true, we make the movies about it so that people can say, you should see this movie and you should tell your first year university students that if they just stand up for Jesus, that the prof is going to change his mind. Well, maybe or not. buy him Newsboys tickets. Right. So <laughs> Come on, Greg. Let it go. <laughs> so that's kind of my first shot at it. There, there are some good <laughs> movies that represent Christian themes. Um, there are some good movies that Christians are involved in making that aren't uh, That's what I was going to say. Like, what does it even mean to be a Christian yeah. movie? Right? I think it means it's all wrapped up with a nice little bow at the end and everybody becomes a Christian. Yeah. And everything's good. Yeah, because I mean, like, it's kind of fascinating, isn't it? That would the Narnia movies that came out, would, would people refer to those as Christians? Or what about the what about the Hobbit or the Lord of the Rings? Would would people refer to those as Christians? Well, movies? Lord of the Rings and Narnia, I don't think people would call Christian I I've heard people call the sorry, you say Harry Potter? Or you say The Hobbit. The Hobbit. Yeah. I was going to say a lot of Christians I know don't like Harry Potter. But yeah, I don't think they would call those Christian movies, but those are movies that explore Christian themes. Yeah, that, that were written by Christians. Yeah. It's, it's a, not that the movie was written by Christians, but right, the, the book. The book. Um, yeah, it's kind of interesting. It's like to be a Christian movie, it has to be explicitly right. Christian, where like they've got an agenda from day one, and then that becomes... A Christian movie. I think I think the expectation. So, for instance, um, if you go watch uh, a movie, what's what was what was the name of Fireproof? this? Fireproof. No. What was this movie Courageous? with this? Courageous? Uh, no, no, no. It's not Christian. Not not a Christian oh. show. Batman this, with the with the blue with the blue. Avatar. Avatar. 
So you know, a, a, a movie like that, uh, that a was, movie? <laughs> was was high high budget. Yeah, great. Like in terms of just the artistic yep. expression, man, Avatar was just what what a beautiful piece of art. There, the message, <laughs> farthest from the truth. Completely in, pagan. Totally pagan, <laughs> but man, the art form was fantastic. So I think people. Uh, in the Christian community, they, they, they are longing for a very strong, explicit Christian movie at that level, where the artistic um, expression, the, 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 the cinematography, the, the, the colors, mm. the scenes are so strong and so beautiful, but also very Christian, like overtly Christian. So... Um, uh, you have uh, the Noah movie where people saw the the, the uh, commercials and man, it looked great until you watched the show and then you realize, man, there was very little mm. Christian, like it wasn't faithful to the gospel and so people, faithful to the biblical narrative, so people walk out of the theater feeling like they were ripped off. My mom called me after, right after the... And <laughs> because they like, feel that... Oh, yeah. yeah, and she's in the lobby. She hasn't even got to her car yet. <laughs> it was the worst movie I've ever so, seen. Yeah, so, so again, there's that expectation. <laughs> Though I yeah. think something that Greg said I think is worth hearing. Yes. There, there's a lot. There's a lot of this movies. Should be good. There, there we'll are be there are lots of movies out there that have a lot of Christian themes. Yeah. And I think when people go to watch movies, don't watch a movie with your brain switched off mm. and just sit there and then take it all in. Mm. Think critically about some of the themes that are being expressed. The lines, the language, the scene changes. When you engage, even the title, even the Avatar. Title, yes, when 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 you engage when you engage a movie um, with your whole self, and you begin to watch and listen to what is being said, and listen to this, watch the scene changes, the description, the kind of music that is being played in the background oh, yeah. as you're watching the movie. All these things are not just thrown in; they are very intentionally set there to communicate a very strong message that the filmmaker wants you as the audience to to take away. And once you've watched this movie, make make a habit of sitting down with a friend or a colleague or a spouse, whoever you went to the movie with, and debrief, discuss what you watched, yeah. and discuss the themes that emerged, and what worldview is being sold. Right. Was that a Christian worldview? Was that a nationalistic worldview? What was what what did you just partake? Most people don't do this. They just go in, switch off their brains, and sit there, entertain me. Or, and they walk away. Popcorn. Feeling, yeah, eating popcorn, feeling so ripped. And I think Greg was onto something there. But just saying, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of movies that you could call Christian because of the themes that the movie or the director was putting forward that were often missed by Christians who watch those movies because you shut off your brain. Okay, so let's give people some examples of a few good movies that they could watch. They don't have to be Christian, but some movies that you would suggest people go see. What would be a movie worth seeing for one of those themes? Oh, man. Um, oh, I have a movie in mind, but yep. I don't know if it's a movie that I can recommend. Okay, that's, that's fine. You, you put me on the spot, buddy. I got to think about it. Okay, next next week. Why don't we come with a list next week okay. of, of movies that we could say, hey, you know, this movie has a Christian theme. Yeah. Or something worth thinking about. Yeah, that is worth thinking about. A movie that is, yeah. Can I say one final thing about this topic? Oh. Mm. He just had to say the word thinking. Do you know how often he that. gets that word in now? Is uh, Okay, here's where I think this issue kind of well, comes down to on one point, is mm. that people want to go to movies to be entertained they want to go see Christian movies where they won't have to think about what they're being entertained by. And so there's a market for people to go to the movies to be able to feel like they can turn off their brain and trust what's coming to them and be entertained by Christianity. So there's two things that are, is wrong with that idea. First of all is that Christianity isn't about entertainment. Right. It's about worldview shaping. And so to view the Christian worldview as something to just be entertained by through movies and things is unhelpful. Secondly, it, it adopts a worldview that says, hey, 
I can, I can just view things and not think critically about them, and that's safe for me to do. And that's a dangerous thing also. Whenever we're engaging with media of any sort, books, radio, television, movies, we need to be thinking critically about what we're hearing and not just approach things by saying, entertain me. I'm going to turn off my brain, eat some popcorn, be entertained, and, and then I'm going to judge it based on if it met my standards or even not. Even the animated movies, right? Oh, totally. Like, same, same thing. I mean, you could even use the same thing for some Christian music that's out there. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. I listen to Christian music a lot. And I begin asking myself the question, okay, what theological principle is being taught through this song? Because we sing mm. some of the songs uh, in our cars as we are driving or in our homes as we are listening to Christian albums and so on. And I listen to some of these songs and I'm like, ah, I would never preach that message. Mm. Yeah. But then I hear Christians singing them and it's their favorite and they love it and all that. And concert, you watch the YouTube of this show, is great. People are worshiping, but man, when you when you listen to the words of the song, yeah, great catchy tune, but man, that is so far from what the scriptures actually teach. Ezra, do you have a famous uh, uh, a favorite Christian artist or band? Newsboys. No, don't. <laughs> I don't want you to say what it is, but do you like? Is there? Do you have a go-to band or a go-to artist? That no, you unfortunately not. I, I listen to, I listen to, the, it's, um, uh, I listen to specific songs, and so if I like oh, okay. a specific song, then I oh, who sang that song? Okay, I was trying to give an, uh, away another one of your books. If people could guess what his favorite artist or band is, but how was that? Sorry. Oh. But he wanted to give away your book. Oh, I know. Everybody wants to give away my book. <laughs> Can we give away copies of your book at the 2 episode? Green. You know what, though? They're, it's going to be at, like, Value Village and places like that. I know, right? Anyway, so. It's done. <laughs> wow. Unbelievable. <laughs> Let's just back that truck up over me. I'll just lay right here. Well, you got a big a good position. jacket on. It won't even hurt good you. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week for episode 199. So close. Wow.